Welcome to a brand new episode of Moving the Pile, the podcast of Indiana corn and soybean farmers. I'm your host, Kevin Cox, and in this episode today, I'll be speaking with Ed Ebert, the Senior Director of Grain Production and Utilization. Ed, welcome to our show today. Well, thanks for having me, Kevin. I look forward to our discussion today. Everybody's asking and wondering what in the world's going on with these markets today and where they're going. You know, can you give us a little bit of a a peek into your crystal ball and what you think is, uh, you know, what's going on with these markets and why they're where they're at. You know, certainly the last year has been a, a significant, you know, change in terms of demand for our products and also some production or supply interruptions as well. When you look back at the June WASD from last year in 2020 and compare it to where the April WASD is today, We've lost over 2 billion bushels of corn stalks from the estimate just back in June of 2020. So that's a significant change in terms of what we thought of overall supply was going to be at the end of this current crop year. Additionally, soybeans had the same story. Uh, June WASD, we were almost 400 million bushels. Today, we are below uh, 130 a million bushels for carryout stocks at the end of this crop year. So you know, that was the first sea change that we saw. The second thing was, is as we ad- advanced into the fall of 2020, we saw just an incredible amount of exports of both soybeans and corn. You know, the, the principal destination obviously was our was the uh, Chinese marketplace demanding both corn and soybeans in just unprecedented volumes. So in addition to this big change in terms of what our outlook was in terms of production, with acreage being reduced and yields being reduced last year as we went through the crop production season and the reporting structures, to also this incredible demand that just uh, shows up out of nowhere. And, and certainly farmers have noticed what that's meant in terms of price. So, so we go through that period of great demand, not so abundant supply, And now we find ourselves coming into the end of March prospective plantings report from the USDA. And we find out that instead of the the market was expecting, you know, significantly higher acres of plantings than than was reported by USDA on that report. So the market average prior to that report was about 93.2 million acres of corn plantings, USDA estimated at 91.1. So that's a fairly big or significant difference. Additionally, beans were projected or estimated by the trade to be at about 90 million acres. The trade estimated acreage at 90 million acres, and the USDA came out with an estimate of 87.6 million acres. So again, a big miss in all directionally to the same way, down uh, from what estimates would have said uh, prior to the report in terms of what the commercials were saying. So we've had significant difference uh, when we look at the commercial estimates versus USDA reports now for going on, it's about a year now. Last year, farmers were reported to be planting almost 97 million acres of corn, corn fully $2 below where current prices are. So, you know, again, that's a big shock to the marketplace. The estimates, again, were much higher in terms of what the trade thought versus what USDA came out with. And the market after, you know, digesting this the day of the report, it's the first time we've had a limit up move in both soybeans and corn uh, since 2011, where you've had limit moves up in terms of the release of a report. Within a week or two after the report, the markets kind of stabilized, traded, you know, a little bit sideways, but now they are again just on a a bull run higher. So you've got corn basically about a dollar per bushel higher than what we saw prior to the release of the port. 
report. And you've got soybeans that are fully $1.50 higher than they were the day before the report was released. So, you know, when I look at those charts and, you know, I'm using uh, charts, candlesticks charts that show either up or down days, it's nothing but green days starting about seven trading days ago. So certainly when we, we look at what this means for long-term price, you've got December corn uh, trading here this morning at 573. You've got November beans trading above $13 at $13.62 per bushel. So all of these things point to just another great year uh, in terms of opportunity for our farmers here in Indiana and across the United States. Early sales to both China and other export uh, destinations are very strong for this time of the year for both soybeans and corn. It would surprise me if China comes in for the same volume of corn that they did last year. But again, it's been a great story to tell to our farmers in terms of all the work that we do here at the checkoff organizations on both the corn and soybean side to really uh, develop these markets, to establish these relationships with these users and continue to stress the importance of the quality, sustainability, reliability of supply, and certainly the fact that when we have logistical requirements to ship, they execute, which can't be said of all origins, uh, particularly in from the South American side. They've had significant delays this year in terms of soybean shipments due to the fact that their crop went in the ground so late this last fall, their spring, and that certainly has kept the United States in the, the game much longer than normal based on this delay to plantings, which then move their harvest back as well. well. You touched on several things here that are concern or question to a lot of producers right now. You know, most people that I've spoken to at the elevator are, are all in the same boat. They were very aggressive about marketing because prices trended higher than what they had anticipated prior to harvest. And so a lot of guys locked in levels that are much below what the current market price is. So I guess the question that a lot of guys are asking right now, from what I hear, is, is are these prices going to hold? And if they're going to hold, for how long are they going to hold? Are we going to be able to participate in these higher markets uh, now moving into the 21-22 crop here? Um, are, are those going to be sustainable at these levels, or are we going to see a pullback on that? Well, that's that's a great that's a great question. I think a lot of it relies on what the market's expectation is in terms of uh, whether or not that prospective plantings report estimate holds true all the way to the June acreage report, which is where you've actually had the opportunity to go out and plant this this crop. As you uh, mentioned prior to us coming on to our podcast today, you've planted you know soybeans probably earlier than you ever have, and that's a common feature across you know all of the corn belt because you know where we're at right now in terms of carry out, you know, at 120, 130 million bushels of soybeans, based on our crushing capacities and the amount of crush utilization that we're doing right now, that is at some point going to cause a problem because those supplies are not always right around those crush plants. And tend, in fact, they tend not to be there. They tend to be in more distant locations, sometimes in the Northern Plains, sometimes in the Western Corn Belt. So at some point in time, the expectation would be that you'll see significant premiums uh, between that old crop and that new crop uh, value in terms of the basis level. And certainly the people that are planting this, these soybeans a little bit earlier this year are fully expecting to try to, to capture capture that, that premium differential before we get into new crop supply. Of course, we, we just had this weather event here where, you know, here we are on the 22nd of April, 
I had three inches of snow on the ground and it got relatively cold. So there are risks to this uh, strategy, obviously. Uh, you're well outside the planting window in terms of insurance for soybeans. Uh, corn, we're just starting to open up into those windows. But certainly I think people, you know, looking at where we're at today, when they look at the conditions for planting, outside of this little weather event we just went through in terms of this cold snap and snow, I would say most farmers would say we have you know, pretty good conditions in terms of you know getting after this spring campaign and getting both of these crops planted. So the risk to people in terms of you know looking at you know where this market has moved here since the end of March is when we really saw this significant rally and this paradigm change in thoughts on acreage. It's going to revolve around how quickly this crop goes in, what conditions it goes in at, and also what this split ends up being in terms of the corn versus soybean splits in terms of planting. You know, there's always this competition between those two crops in the spring. I think this year it's going to be even more acute. Certainly corn has you know tried to rally and keep itself relevant on the new crop futures relative to soybean futures so they're still kind of at the upper end of that range the the current soybean to corn ratio is 2.42 which again that's kind of at the upper end of the range that we see particularly for this time of the year but again you know what farmers can expect is to watch closely what they're doing in their local area and certainly keep uh, tuned in to what's going across the United States in terms of both planning progress and what that ultimate uh, decision is between soybeans and corn ratio or what is getting planted. But when I just look at it here today, there's just nothing right now that tells me that there's going to be anything other than probably a continuation of this trend until the marketplace feels more comfortable with what we're going to have for supply this year. In addition, you're also getting reports out of South America now that, you know, we're talking about not only the the, the issues with the, the start of their campaign in terms of their export program, but but they're also starting to report issues in terms of the second planting of corn that goes in right behind their soybean crop that in some areas they've had very hot and dry conditions, particularly in the southern portion of their growing region. And that's starting to people, that's getting people now to start questioning whether or not they're going to see these very large corn yields uh, with this follow-on crop, second crop corn, which is known as safrinia. You've got bean oil right now trading above 67 cents per pound. That's ridiculously high. Over the span of my career, which is about 37 years now, I've seen a trade above 60 cents one time. So what we've got going on in soybean oil right now is a market mover in terms of what that means in order in in relation to the cost of soybeans versus the value of the product. That may meal trading right now above 400 bucks. $428 per ton. And you've got bean oil that's trading at 67 cents a pound. And right now, if you look at that on a contribution margin, that's 43% of that crush margin right now is coming from oil. That number is usually like 28 to 32. So it's a significant change in, in terms of, of the value of, of what's going on in the soybean crush. And that's adding value right back to the farm. And that's coming from a couple of issues. You've got veg oil supplies globally that are much tighter this year. And you also have this new biodiesel production method, which is called renewable diesel, that is also reducing those supplies and stocks and increasing the value. So at the end of the day, there's not a lot of reason for soybeans to get much cheaper if soybean oil is going to trade at 67 
sense. I mean, there just isn't. And that's a function of the value of the the blending credit. That's a function of the value of the RINs that are generated when you're involved in that process. And it's also determined by uh, what the overall food demand outlook looks like too, and just global supply. So when you add all those three or four things together, it says, yeah, there's a good reason why oil's trading at 67 cents per pound. It's a big deal why they won't get any cheaper right away. And if they stay high, corn naturally has to stay high too. Because right now they're competing for new crop acres. And if beans kind of run away from corn, then you may not plant this 91 million acres. You may end up with 89 or or 90 and add bean acres back to that. And at the end of the day, the market obviously will have a big reaction to that come June 30th when the acreage report comes out. And then the market will reset from there exactly what it did back on March 31st with the prospective planning. If you looked at both of those commodity charts for both corn and soybean prices, for new crop coming into that report, they were all lower. And they were starting to get significantly lower than where they were at the beginning of March. And that report hits and bam, limit up in both commodities, trades a little sideways, a little lower, and now it's off to the races again with new contract highs. So when we look at, you know, what's going on with the soybean oil market, that's a good reason for neither crop to get cheaper anytime soon. But that's because you've got people like Kevin right now that are trying to figure out what should I be planting? And they're going to be looking at that board. That's a 2.4 soy to corn ratio. He knows what his production costs are, or at least has a very good idea of those. And he can start doing the math on the back of a napkin and figure that out pretty quick. You know, you mentioned, and everybody's keenly aware of the fact that China's back in our market and our big end user for our products. You know, there's there's been talk of recent about them cutting back on the amounts of soybean meal that they use and trying to cut back on the demand, I guess, for these higher priced grain levels that we're experiencing right now. Do you see that as being a negative impact on the market? Well, I think, you know, at, at some point, obviously, you know, China has been the, the main reason for these just incredibly unprecedented levels of exports to China for both, you know, soybeans and corn. So, you know, anytime there's talk of reducing protein uh, amounts to these animals, uh, they've also started a campaign now uh, within the country to, to discuss with their feeding groups about, well, maybe instead of feeding corn, you know, maybe we can feed wheat or we can feed other cereals to try to uh, limit the amount of, of corn that we're having to import because it is quite expensive for them to do that, you know, particularly on the corn side. You know, when China developed its policy here oh, 10, 15 years ago, they basically felt that, you know, they wanted to stick with, you know, the staples in terms of rice and corn and other basic cereal and the energy side of diet. And they decided that they were going to let the U.S. and South America, you know, have a, a greater share of their soybean requirements or demands. African swine fever has definitely changed the the mix or that demand curve for sure because as they replace these animals that were decimated by this uh, difficult disease to control and of course we don't have any vaccine for it currently what they've done is is they've gone away from the small scale feeders who were using a lot of table scraps and and other different types of, of feed if you will versus now all of these integrated operations and if you've seen pictures of them they have you know six to eight story tall 
buildings. They're just layer on layer on layer of finishing houses for these animals. That is all corn and soybean demand that wasn't there before. And now it's here. And certainly the risk that we run is, is number one, uh, ASF continues to uh, be difficult for them to control. And if it would get into these larger facilities, obviously that would be very detrimental to demand. And also how much substitution they can reasonably accommodate in terms of looking at these other substitutes uh, relative to both soy protein and corn. So there's a lot of things that, that get sorted out there, but I think that demand is still, I think, going to be very strong for this coming year. What do you see as far as livestock numbers domestically um, with grain prices being where they are, where demand is right now? Do you see those numbers increasing? Because that's a huge, huge portion of our grain goes to feeding those animals. You know, when we look at, you know, the corn side, I think, you know, the, the two big areas of demand, well, exports this year for sure have, have really you know, stepped up. But, you know, the, the two traditional areas of demand are ethanol grind and feed and residual for livestock feeding here in our country. Taking the livestock, you know, separately, as we look at that, livestock prices rose in reaction to these higher grain price levels. So hogs have returned to fairly reasonable levels of profitability. Uh, poultry sector is also uh, realizing some additional uh, revenue as well because they've been able to increase, you know, the prices of those livestock products. Feeder cattle have been also have also recovered uh, fairly significantly here over the last four or five months. So the livestock sectors have been in a position of where they were able to get more for their product value. So it, it in, in most cases it more than offset this increase in terms of their feed cost. That's kind of changing again because again these price levels on both old crop corn and soybeans continue to go higher daily and at some point you're going to run into an issue where they can't get those livestock product prices any higher because you'll start getting consumer pushback in terms of food inflation and we're probably getting relatively close to that right now but it, it's difficult to see that also you've got this wild card that as we emerge from you know covid and the covid associated lockdowns you'll also see a return to dining out in other segments or sectors of demand that will increase as well so i think we we have have and will retain a very strong livestock demand. There's been a little pullback in terms of the numbers of sows that we've got and also, you know, pigs uh, that are coming out of those sows and also the overall finishing herd size. But overall, I think the, the recovery in poultry profitability, hogs looking uh, much stronger and, and feeder cattle also being above $1.50 a pound. All of those are good signs, but you got to keep watching what continues to happen in terms of these overall grain price levels because both oil seeds and corn continue to to really to trend higher. The other big corn demand issue, or or what we're looking at there from the ethanol uh, grain component, that's a lot more tricky because it's one of the things is is the domestic demand for gasoline has recovered not to pre-pandemic levels, but it's much much better than it was. You know, if you look at it just year on year for sure. And ethanol prices have been moving fairly uh, strongly and aligned with what's been going on in terms of these corn price rallies. But that just still tends to be a very difficult marketplace in terms of run rates because exports are very, very difficult right now. 
for ethanol. Although China, again, was kind of that shining star here back in January when they purchased basically as much ethanol in, in a, a one or two month time period than they, than they had previously in the full marketing year. So it'll be interesting to see if they continue to follow through on that in terms of their overall demand structure. But it's a good story. I think in terms of domestic animal production right now, but again, the the part that makes this difficult or tricky to predict is is, as these grain prices and oil seed prices continue to go higher, it's certainly going to make it difficult for livestock to continue to raise their their the value of their products into a consumer market that's you know starting to push back a little in terms of that food inflation aspect of, of what's going on. So as we see these grain prices at the levels that they're at right now, what do you see as the biggest risk out there? I mean, if we've got oil at $60 plus, we've got gas in the countryside at $3, well, that's made now ethanol um, not very attractive or profitable, I guess. We've got livestock prices now to where they're going to be challenged with these high uh, feed costs. You know, where is it? What is it that's going to be? Is it still going to be demand from China that's going to cause that bubble to break eventually? Or or is it just a combination of everything? Or, you know, I'd love to see these prices stay, but you know how that works. So I mean, when you look at, you know, what the upside versus the downside stories are right now, right now you've got uncertainty about crop size in the U.S. And you've got Brazil saying our second crop corn isn't doing nearly as well as we would like it to do because the soybeans got planted late. They got harvested late, which means that corn got planted late. So when you when you look at all these emerging stories in terms of global demand for our products and what the supply outlook is currently, which is a little bit muddied, uh, particularly by the prospective plantings report, there's just not a lot of there's not a lot of downside news in the marketplace today. So when when you look at that, I think it's important that each farmer have a very good perspective on what their costs of production. They can look at these prices today. And certainly with got May soybeans today, they're up another 15 cents as we're talking here. You know, they're about $15 again, 15. $15.70 per bushel on May beans. We've got corn trading at $7.03 per bushel. So when you look at these price levels and then you look at new crop, December corn is above trading right now at um, $5.72 and one half. And November soybeans are trading again up today. Their high has been $13.60 per bushel. And right now, those price levels are significantly better than we've seen here in the last five or six years. And so I think what's incumbent on farmers to do is, is I understand that everybody's a little sore about, you know, probably selling too early into that rally in the fall, as you had pointed out before. But certainly, you know, you you need to keep that longer term view, which is uh, what the market gives. Sometimes that market can take away. High prices uh, tend to fix themselves. The old adage that, you know, the best cure for high prices is high prices because eventually you'll stimulate enough uh, supply or reduce demand enough to to bring that back into a a balance, if you will. But certainly at at some point, you you have to be realistic in terms of what your long-term objectives are. And certainly these price levels on both corn and soybeans over the long term will tend to ration, will will tend to ratchet down demand because again, these high high price levels will start reducing the overall offtake uh, based on these prices today. Well, I'd like to thank Ed Ebert, our Senior Director of Grain Production Utilization at the Indiana Corn and Soybean Checkoff for participating in our Moving the Pile podcast today. 
Uh, for those of you that are interested in picking up our podcast, you can do that by texting CHECKOFF to 833-740-2009.